It is a good morning. It's a bit of a rough start, but it is uh, bright and sunny in here. So it's good to be inside. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you. We are in Mark 5 today, continuing our series through Mark. We're going to be in Mark 5, 21 through 43. And what we have today really is a beautiful story of two sorrowful souls who encountered Jesus. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record these same events, and each one tells the same story. And at its core, it's really a story of Christ the great physician who is ready and eager to heal his glorious people. He wants to take away their suffering. He's come to do just that. Now, before we get started, if you've uh, missed a couple weeks, if you haven't been here, I'm going to give you, I'm going to set the scene up a little bit for you, where we've been up to this point. Now, back in Mark 4, Jesus had been teaching by the lake. He was exhausted His disciples were no doubt exhausted. And when evening comes, they set sail across the Sea of Galilee. Now, as they're on the boat, a storm arises. The disciples panic. Jesus sleeps. They go to Jesus and they say, don't you care about us if we drown? They wake him up. Jesus, of course, cares. He calms the storm and they're terrified. Now they land on the other side and while Jesus is getting off the boat, his his one leg out of the boat and up comes a demon-possessed man rushing him, screaming at him, panicking. Jesus says, "Out. Boots him out." Kicks out the the legion of demons. That was last week's sermon. Well, today we're getting back in the boat. We get back in the boat and now we're heading back to the other side, and as they cross, they are probably extremely tired at this point. I mean, think about this. The second they land now, again, they're going to be swarmed by a crowd. If you or I were in Jesus' place, how would we be feeling? How would we be feeling at this point? I would be extremely cranky. I I might be a little hangry, a little upset. I'm mentally, physically exhausted. And I probably would want to be left alone. But what we're going to see is that Jesus, time and time again, he's not angry, is he? He's not perturbed. He's not a perturbed Savior. Instead, his heart is spring-loaded to give out mercy. Let's read along together. Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter. Is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with them. Now a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was also a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. for She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, what we just read is really two stories that are actually two sides of the same coin. I want you to think about this. We have a woman who has suffered from a secret illness for 12 years, coming to Jesus to steal a cure in private from him. And on the other hand, we have a well-known individual. Everyone would have known Jairus. Here comes the father, and he's coming very publicly to Jesus to ask for a cure for his dying daughter. Now, how, how old is the little girl? 12 years old. So we have on one side 12 years of darkness, 12 years of suffering, desperately in need of light, in need of cure. And then we have 12 years of sunshine, sweet little girl, and her life's being snuffed out in death. This is a remarkable story. It's a wonderful scene. And if I was an artist, I would paint it. I'm not an artist, unfortunately, so we must paint it with words. I want you to imagine you're, you're there and you're waking up that day and outside your window you hear the sound of busyness and chatter. Everyone's excited. There's a hustle and bustle and, and you rush to the door. All your neighbors are out there. Your friends are out there. They're running. Jesus is back. He's back. He's just crossed the Quickly, call everybody. Get over. Get over. Head over. Jesus is back. Well, you don't want to miss it. So you quickly get dressed. You, you join the large crowd. And we're told that Jesus is thronged on all sides. They're pressing against him. They're crowding him. They're shoving him. You can, you can see the scene playing out. You can almost smell the sweat in the air. Everyone's fighting to get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe there are different faces in the crowd. Some are happy. Some are excited. Some are sad. Maybe there are tears on faces. People are hoping for a cure. If I can just be near Jesus, I want to be there. Some are annoyed. This is my day. My day is getting ruined here by Jesus. Mothers are holding up their toddlers. Look, look, honey, look. You know, the young boys are running ahead. They want to get a glimpse of Jesus. It's a very human scene, isn't it? If you've ever been in New York, if you've ever been on a crowded subway or a concert that's sold out, you can feel it, right? You're, You're shoved in. You're pressed. Everyone's very excited to be there. And it's in this chaos that we're introduced to a desperate man. It's a man named Jairus. And we're told he's one of the rulers of the synagogue, so he's important. He's an important individual in that society. And here comes Jairus, not as that role, but as father. He's going to serve as the father of Jesus' first patient in our story. There's important things to note about him. First, here's the first thing to note about him. He comes alone. Now, where's the mother? 
Uh, we're not introduced into the mother until much later. Where's the mom? Well, where would any mom be in this room if your daughter was dying? She's by the bedside. She's watching her little light slip away. And so the Jairus leaves his wife. He leaves the daughter. He leaves that moment where he could be with his daughter, be with his wife. And he's taking a huge risk in coming to Jesus. He's exhausted all other options. And he knows that Jesus is his only hope. Secondly, Jairus humbles himself before Jesus. It's told, we're told that he falls at his feet. This is a man of, of influence falling to the ground at the feet of Jesus. It's a mournful scene. Everyone in, there, everyone in here can put themselves in the shoes of Jairus. But there's something unique for, for those of us in the room who are parents. The love that a parent has for their child is a strange love. It's a, a, a magical love in a lot of ways. If you ask me to describe the depths of love that I have for my sweet little daughter, it would be impossible to describe. My little sunshine, my little monkey, my little darling. What would I not do to save her life? And sadly, how many times as parents have we exhausted all other possible options only to be shamed when we realize we have forgotten to pray? We have forgotten to cast our feet, or cast ourselves at the feet of Christ. You see, to humble ourselves before God, admit that we don't have a grip on any situation in life, is extremely painful. It's a painful for me. To, to cast off my pride, to have to look at the instruction manual, that's a painful experience for me. I, I'm in control. I, I know what I'm doing. But we would do well to learn from Jairus and fall at Jesus' feet. Now he's going to, thirdly, the thing we need to see is that he's going to do just this. He's going to fall at his feet and he's going to beg for help. It's often hard for, for people, particularly men again, to, to ask for help. It's hard to confess that something is out of my control. We need assistance, don't we? But this man has come to Jesus in faith. It's, it's maybe weak. It's maybe misunderstood faith. He's heard the stories about Jesus. He knows something about Jesus. But he's come to Jesus in faith. Now listen to his words. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Now you come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. My little daughter. Jesus, my, the one I cradled in my arms for so many years. She's, she's dying. Jesus, I had 12 years of music in the house. I had 12 years of laughter in my house. 12 years of piggyback rides and dollhouses and silly games. My little daughter. There's so much agony in his request. But it's a holy request. Fourth and final thing is that Jairus has confidence that Jesus can make his daughter well. He says, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. You see, he has no doubt that Jesus is going to be able to do this. He's taken these stories to heart. Jesus, if you come, she will be made well. Not maybe you can do something. I know you can do something. Again, we need to step back and marvel at Jairus' faith. He comes and says, you will do this. I can't, you can do this. I know you will do this. And as we approach Christ, as we approach God in prayer, we should take this faith as well. God can, he will, and he does answer our prayers. So Jesus hears his request and he goes with them. And you can see here that now there's tension. Before there was a crowd and the crowd was a problem. 
Now we have to get through the crowd. There's a time limit now. The little girl is dying. The clock is ticking. But it's precisely within this bustling crowd that Jesus' second patient is slowly making her way towards him. Let's turn our attention to the woman now. For as deep as Jairus' sorrow is, there are deeper depths of woe for this poor, poor, poor daughter. What do we know about her? We're told, uh, we're not told her name. She's just woman, daughter. But we're told some very intimate details about her 12 years of suffering. We're told that uh, she has a discharge of blood. And for 12 years, she has suffered under this. This most likely would have caused her chronic anemia. She would be weak in severe pain. She's pale. She's tired. She is a frail woman. And she's desperate. And like Jairus, Jesus is her only hope. Not only did she have this debilitating illness, but it's embarrassing. It's a private one. It's not one that she would want people to know about. And according to the Jewish ideas of the time, if she touched anyone while she was having a discharge of blood, she would have made them unclean. This uncleanness would not allow her to take part in worship. She could have no place in the synagogue. She would have been cast out of worship. She would have been unclean with regards to a husband. And so we're told that uh, she couldn't, if she was married, she would have even had to have been divorced. So she couldn't be married. She would have had to get rid of her husband. She would have been an outcast from her home, from society, from religion. Now, these are great and wonderful aspects of true womanhood. And if the crowd only knew who was rubbing up against them, they would recoil from her. If they only knew that she was pushing and past them, they would have said, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. It would have been a nightmare for them. She's come in secret. She's terrified. And yet she's mustered up all her weakness, all her strength. She has gotten herself here. She's left all of that, all her courage, every little bit, and her bones. She has to touch Jesus. She says in verse 28, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She has so much faith. Now to make matters worse, we're told that her troubles have been exacerbated over the 12 years, not just suffering from her illness, but she's been suffering under bad doctors. Now, not long ago, my kids were sick, and uh, we took them to the doctor, and the doctor said, no, no infection, give them popsicles, give them water, they'll be fine. Well, we lost many nights of sleep, we blew many noses, and a week later, we brought them back because they were still sick. doctor looks at them, no infection, more popsicles, They'll be fine. And I want to say, you don't have to live with them, doctor. You know, you're just here. You're... I was very upset. And so I called back and I was told them I was none too happy about that. We're paying you to help my children do something. Now, we have doctors in this room. We have nurses in this room. I would trust my life with these people. But you all know about doctors who are more trouble than they're worth. And this lady has had the run of the lot of them. Not only did they drain her drive financially, it says they left her worse. All the cures were actually punishments for her. It's a great picture of sinful souls when they seek cures other than from Christ, isn't it? A sick soul may go to Dr. Entertainment, but there's no cure there. They may pay a visit to Dr. Fame, Nurse Fortune. They are no help. Dr. Pleasure, Dr. Self-Help. Dr. Religion, are there any cures to be found? 
Only Dr. Jesus can and will cure the heart of the human soul. There's, there's remedies for lifetimes from this world. But sin remains in power. Guilt will always cling to your conscience. The heart will remain as hard and as cold as ever unless you run to Christ. Well, this poor woman's penniless. She's weakened by her illness. She's been taken advantage of. She's a social pariah. She's excommunicated from the synagogue. No husband. Horrible suffering. All of this for 12 years. 12 years of agony, physical, mental, spiritual darkness. She's desperate. Now, let us look to Jesus. You see, we have, whether we realize it or not, we've been in the crowd with him this whole time. As we've been going through Mark, we've been bystanders. We've been watching. We've been pressing against him. We've been saying, more, Jesus, more. We want to see more. You calm the storm. That's amazing. You kick the demons out. That's amazing. More, Jesus. Teach us more. You see, Jairus touched his soul with his words and his actions. Jesus is going with him. And now this woman comes privately, and she touches him in faith. And we're told that he stops and he asks this question, who touched my garments? It's not, a, it's not an angry, who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? Who was it? Show yourself. Come out. Who touched me? Who, who took the power? Let's go. Come on out. Come out. Show yourself. And the disciples are thinking, who touched you? Are you kidding? Everyone touched you. What are you talking about? You're in a crowd. Everyone's touching you. But you see, the crowd didn't touch him in any meaningful way. St. Augustine said this. Long ago, he said of this story, he says, flesh presses, but faith touches. And Jesus can always distinguish between the jostle of a curious mob and the agonized touch of a needy soul. See, you can come to church week after week and bump into Jesus. You can come here and bump into him. But it isn't the same as reaching out to him in faith. You see, Jesus is still to this day asking that question. Who touched me? Where's the precious one today who touched me? Who reached out to me? Show yourself. Draw near. Do not hide your face. Come out. Let us receive you. Come into the master's presence. Find peace. There may be a soul today in this room. You've exhausted all your options. And I want you to hear Jesus' voice. Who touched me? Come. Did you reach out to me today? Come out. Come to me. And he's calling you today to come. A trembling finger reached out in faith is all you require. All he requires. Now, Jairus, we have to go back to Jairus. Because Jairus is there and Jesus is delaying. If we once again put ourselves in his shoes, we're looking back. Where's Jesus? He, he was just here. He was just behind me. Why has he stopped? What's, doesn't he care about my daughter? Why am I going backwards? We're going forwards. My daughter is dying. Jesus. If we were in an emergency room and I brought this little girl in and I said, she's dying, she's dying. Or I brought the other, the woman in and I said, oh, she's been bleeding for 12 years. Who, who would go back first? The little girl. And Jairus is saying, great physician. This is, this is malpractice. But you see, there's a method and a purpose in the halting of Jesus. As we've seen, there's always a method and a purpose to his delay. There's always a reason he tarries. There's always a reason for him to wait. But we just don't see it yet. Now the woman knows that she's been healed. She can't keep it hidden from Jesus. He's calling her out of the crowd. She emerges. And verse 33 says this. She came in fear and trembling. And she fell down before him. 
and told him the whole truth. Now, you might think this is cruel. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he call this woman out? Doesn't he care about her her trauma? Doesn't he know that she's suffered with this illness in secret for a reason? Why would she tell the whole truth? Why would she have to do that? But I want you to think about what would have happened if Jesus hadn't done this. You you know how it is. Sure, she felt cured. But after a couple months, she would have had that creeping suspicion in the back of her mind. What What if the bleeding starts again? Soon she would begin to doubt and fear, as we all would. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to allow that. I'm going to put that fear to rest. So he calls her out and he says, go in peace, be healed of your disease. Jesus calls her out so that she would absolutely know without the shadow of a doubt, she's cured for all, all time. Once and for all, you're cured. But you see, it's not just for Jesus. I mean, it's not just for her. It's also for the crowds. It's also for Jairus. And she calls him out for us as well. Jesus did it so that everyone would know, hey, this woman that you've had an outcast for 12 years, she's clean. She's clean. Bring her back. And Jesus did it so that she would know why she was ultimately cured. Daughter, your faith has made you well. You didn't steal the cure. You didn't come and steal the cure. Uh, You obtained it. You obtained it by your faith. Well done. And then Jesus does something here that maybe you didn't know this. He never does this anywhere else in all of Scripture. He looks at this woman and he calls her daughter. A nameless woman. And Jesus says, no. Nameless to the world, my daughter. The translation is not so much go in peace, but go into peace. You see, he's saying, my daughter, you've been divorced from your home. Come into my house. You've been ostracized from society, come into my kingdom. You've been banned from the synagogue, come to the true temple, to the true place of worship, the true house of God. Twelve years of darkness, exposed, radiated, washed clean by Dr. Christ. Now the final thing I'll say before we leave this blessed woman alone is this. Due to her illness, everything, as you remember, everything she touched became unclean. But she grabs Jesus' garment. And because of the nature of who Jesus is and the power of God, there's a reversal that happens. She touches him, and instead of him becoming unclean, she becomes whole. And on the cross, we're told in our place, the same thing happens. Our sin is imparted to him. He becomes the curse for us, and our roles are reversed. This is the greatest exchange of all time. The righteous for the unrighteous, the sin-sick soul, is given the medicine of grace. Sadly, we must turn now back to Jairus, verse 25. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I want to be a bit dramatic here if we can. I want us to imagine that on one side, Jesus is looking at her and saying, Daughter, you are well. And at the same time, Jairus is over here and they're saying, your daughter is dead. Jesus overhears them. He interrupts and he says, don't don't fear. Do not fear. Only believe. Jesus is saying, Jairus, take heart. Do Do you see what I just did? Do you see how God cares for his daughters? The words of utter desolation are quickly followed by words of utter hope. 
Do not fear, only believe. Out of the darkness, light. Out of the delay comes help. It's always so with this blessed Christ of ours. So we come to the house. With Jesus inside, there's going to be a tragic moment, but that's going to be replaced with exquisite beauty. We're going to see the reversal happen again. Death is there. Uncleanliness is there. And here comes Dr. Jesus, and he's going to reverse the roles. The people are weeping. They're wailing. Back in that day, you would have hired professional mourners for this job. He's a very well-to-do person. He would have had a lot of people there. And Jesus asked them in verse 39, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. Then they go from weeping to laughter. And they mock him. But Jesus has this quiet dignity about him. He has authority. He says, get out. Get out. That's enough of your laughter. Takes with him a select few. Peter, James, John, Jairus, his wife. They enter the room where the little girl lay. This is verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, Arise. Now, again, I think that translation is a little harsh. But what Jesus is doing here is actually he's using a term of endearment. He called the woman daughter. And here, a better translation is little lamb arise. In our modern language, it would be honey, honey, get up. Immediately she does. (laughs) That's not supposed to happen. The doctors come with a cure. He brings the little patient back to the loving arms of her parents. What can we learn from all this today? What can we take away from this story? It's another layer, isn't it? It's another layer. It's another unveiling of who Jesus really is. It's another revelatory piece of the puzzle. And we're just piecing these things together. And they're giving us a window into the magnificent heart of Christ towards sinners. I confess that even now, as I read this, my, my words failed to capture all that took place here. Whenever I talk about Jesus, I wish I had a new language. <laughs> I wish I had something, something better than these miserable human words because he's too beautiful. He's too wonderful for words. And they all seem ugly when we try to describe what he's done. We could say that it's the sensitiveness of Jesus Christ that is so beautiful here. He doesn't leave you for hours in the waiting room. He's quick, he's responsive, he's generous, he's breathtaking. The Puritan Thomas Brooks, he writes this, he says, We have all things in Christ. Christ is all things to a Christian. If we are sick, Jesus is a physician. If we thirst, Jesus is a fountain. If our sins trouble us, Jesus is our righteousness. If we stand in need of help, Jesus is mighty to save. If we fear death, Jesus is life. If we are in darkness, Jesus is light. If we are weak, Jesus is strength. If we are in poverty, Jesus is plenty. If we desire heaven, Jesus is the way. The soul cannot say, this I would have and that I would have. But having Jesus, he has all he needs. Eminently, perfectly, eternally. See, Jesus is understanding. He always knows exactly what needs to be said. Exactly what needs to be done in order to heal the human heart. To comfort our souls. There are no forms to be filled out in Christ's office. Amen. What about his bedside manner? He knows that this precious woman, she's suffered for 12 years. That's a lifetime for many of us. 
She suffered, she suffered, and, and he takes her, her time to honor her faith and hear her story. He says, tell me the whole truth. I want to hear everything about it. And in that simple word, daughter, so much that has not been said to this woman for 12 years is now said out in the open. Daughter. What other doctor has ever called her daughter? Who has ever treated this woman, this unclean outcast of a woman, with such dignity and grace and honor? Only our Christ. And then to the little girl. Again, she was dead. You do not touch a corpse. That was considered unclean. That would have made you unclean. And yet Jesus grabs her by the hand. And if you and I were making this up, if we were writing the story and we go, oh yeah, add that next, add that next, we would have never added what it says here at the end. Jesus tells them to get her something to eat. <laughs> of course he does, of course, because she's starving. If, you ever have a, if you've been sick, you know you don't, you're not hungry. You're, you're vomiting things up. It's a, it's a nasty affair. And this little girl wakes up and she's probably ravenous. And he says, hey, I know you're excited. She's hungry. Let's get her some goldfish. This is a doctor who anticipates our every need. He knows what we need. A doctor is not ashamed to touch his patients with tenderness. Now you may say, yes, yes. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story, but you see, my child died. And Jesus did not save my child. And yet, I've suffered more than 12 years. And I'm not cured. Indeed, I'm suffering even now. I sit here in this pew and my bones ache and my body hurts and I know my body is failing. Where is Jesus when I need him? Now, I say that with great reverence because I sympathize with you. I weep for many of you who are going through those things. And I don't always know or always readily see or understand why God tarries. I stand like Jairus and I say, wasn't he just behind me? We have to go forward. Why are you waiting? I don't ultimately know why some are healed, others are not. But what have we seen time and time again from this story, from countless others? It's that Jesus always delays for a reason. His heart is never without sympathy for his own. He weeps with you. He's with you on the boat. He's in the furnace with you. Another thing we must remember and take heart is that there are plenty of times where we are healed. And our family members are raised up. There's no reason why that should have happened. There's no, it defied all odds. The doctors have no clue why they were alive. And it's because Jesus is still touching little hands. He's still healing illnesses, some which we will never even hear about, ever even know about. So we should not be afraid, but instead believe. We know that even though we may not be healed, we may not be raised up now, one day we will be raised up. And it will be more glorious than if we had been healed now because Lazarus was raised up, he died again. And that little girl was raised up, but she died again. But one day when we are raised up eternally imperishable, there will be no more death. So we say if he who can chooses not, it must be for the best. Now, the final thing I'm going to say today, this is aimed at those who are pressing and pushing against Christ. You've come today, you've bumped into Jesus, here you are, but you've never truly touched him in faith. You see, sometimes these are people who are lovers of sin. They talk of their own self-righteousness. 
They are weak, yet they boast of their ability. They're not conscious of their dire need. They come and they say, I don't need a cure. I have no disease that needs healing. Then there are those who talk openly of their faith. They boast of their faith with the Lord. They seem right with God. And yet in secret, their hearts are insincere, they're unbelieving, and they're ill. A secret sin has drained them of all their life. They sit in pews, they go to Bible studies, their ears are stopped up, their eyes are dull. Now, if either of those describe you, here's what you must do. Here's the prescription from Jesus Christ. You can do nothing today except what this woman did. You must confront your illness, your fatal disease, and you must admit that we are without strength, without merit, and without power, and you need a cure. And like that woman, you must tell the whole truth. You must tell the whole truth. The doctor already knows. Reach out your hand, touch Jesus. You'll say, I haven't the strength. I can't pray anymore. You don't know what I've been through. I haven't the strength. And I say, perfect. Perfect. Because it's in your weakness that you are qualified to come. You do not go see a doctor if you are healthy. You come when you are sick and weak and dying. And Jesus says, perfect, come. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Do you see the woman's quivering finger? She's emaciated. She's come with bloodless cheeks to steal a cure from Christ. And he looks at her and says, no, not stolen, obtained, purchased by your faith, by my blood. You have it. Daughter, go in peace. The prescriptions she had were long. They were expensive. They left her worse. The only prescription required today is a touch. A tiny little power line sways in the wind. And yet it's strong enough to keep that transmitting electric current. So also is the trembling faith that receives salvation from Jesus. You might say service to him is too costly. It costs too much to follow Jesus. But did Jesus ask the woman for payment? Did he ask Jairus for any payment? You see, this is a free gift of God's grace. This is a doctor who pays you. The gifts of Jesus are as free as air. This is the sweet lollipop of grace after the shot. (laughs) And the scalpel of law hurts. It hurts to be told that you are a sinner. It hurts to know, to look at yourself, to kill your pride, to kill all of that. It hurts. It's painful. But unless the leprous heart is removed, there can be no healing. So I close today by telling you this. As an ambassador of the living God, I'm urging you to put out your finger in faith today to trust the Lord Jesus. You see, the simple faith of your heart is enough to stop spiritual death. This spiritual death is working within you. And if you will cling to him now, then one day when you finally close your eyes on this life, you're going to sit there. You're going to feel a warm touch on your hand. You'll hear the musical voice of Christ in your ear. Say, little lamb, my little one, honey, arise. Run to him. Run to him. The doctor is waiting. He will see you now. Let's pray.